So far, we're the only couple that I know of. It's rare to find two alcoholics who have lived through the drunk and kind of found each other again through being sober. Welcome to the Secret Life Podcast. Tell me your secret. I'll tell you mine. When I first started my recovery 11 years ago, I struggled through the textbook-like material on the subject. I wanted to make the addiction and the recovery from it accessible and relatable to more people by telling it in an entertaining way. Well, I'm super excited to announce I've released my first book, Secret Life of a Hollywood Sex and Love Addict. If I can help just one person find a solution or at least realize they're not broken or alone, then writing this has been worth it. You can pick up the book exclusively at Amazon or signed copy at secretlifenovel.com. And the best way to support our podcast is to subscribe and share. If you haven't left a review or rating on Apple Podcasts yet, please do. It'll help more people find our show. And if you want to be a guest, shoot me a note at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Secret Life Podcast. I'm Brianne Davis-Gant. Today, I'm pulling back the curtains of all kinds of human secrets. We'll hear about what people are hiding from themselves and others. You know those deep, dark secrets you probably want to take to your grave or those lighter, funnier secrets that are just plain embarrassing. Really, the how, what, when, where, and why of it all. Today, I have special, special guests, plural people, plural. Today we have Devin and Jess. I have a question for you. Dun, dun, dun. What is your secrets? Um, our secrets, our secret is that we got sober and are still together. Wow. <laughs> that's really, I mean, that's really rare, isn't it? For couples to get sober together and then stay together. Um, so far, we're the only couple that I know of. Yeah, usually either like one person will want to get sober and the other person just continues to drink and the relationship ends or two sober people kind of fall in love or get into a relationship in AA. But usually um, it's rare to find two alcoholics who have lived through the drunk and kind of found each other again through being sober. Wow. Yeah. Cause I, I remember when I was getting sober in my program, it's not the same, but it, you know, you still go through withdrawals and, and it was so hard for me to do that while being with my boyfriend slash now husband. So let's, how long have you been sober? Let's, let's just state that fact. Um, 1015 days. So we're going on, uh, It'll be three years, June 30th. Yes. Oh, you have a birthday coming up. Do you guys have the exact same day for birth? Yes. Oh my God. I've never heard of that. That is, yeah. oh my God, like, that's so cute. To the hour. I mean, we took our last drink together. Oh, okay. So how long um, have you been together? Six years. Yeah. So you were drinking for three years and then you've stopped for three years. So really it's like 50% of your time. Now, yeah. Wow. Okay. So can you take us back to the beginning? Like how it was when you met, how your behavior just progressed probably? Yeah. Well, we met at a gay club out here in Vegas. So, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> so um, I mean, I guess 
our drinking, obviously, I think with many addictions or um, like it was manageable at first and then got to a point where there was like destruction. Right. So how, how, how much were you drinking when you guys first got together? At the end, the two of us were drinking about a handle a day. In the beginning, though, we were, I guess, as you call it, functioning alcoholics. Yeah. yeah. So we we were able to pay all of our bills. Um, we both held jobs. Um, the whole time. We, <laughs> like, you know, we didn't really struggle. Um, we were we would go out down to the strip. Like it was kind of a fun, a fun thing. It didn't get really dark and destructive until the end. I mean, we would go to Golden Knights games and. We go on dates. I mean, we thought that we were fine. We were fine. We didn't have a a drinking problem, even though we were drinking every single day. All day. So did you, were you, did you wake up and have a drink or did you start like, you know, lunchtime or how, how, how was like a day at the beginning when you two were together? Like just walk us through a typical day. In the beginning? I mean, it would just at night, really. And then one thing led to another and then at the end it was 24 seven. Really? Yeah. Like I would wake up in the middle of the night and have to drink at 2 AM because I could not fall back to sleep. What would, what would you drink? Like, what was your, Oh, anything, but mostly (laughs) vodka or Captain Morgan or those handles, like the big bottles of those were cheap. So. (laughs) Wow. And then what were, what were, did you wake up in the middle of the night or no? Uh, no, I actually, I'd be so like passed out and so drunk that I would actually pee myself. Like I would wake up sometimes and just wake up in a, a pile of pee because that's how blacked out I was. It would wake me up, the pee. <laughs> it wouldn't wake her up. <laughs> would you get mad at her? Would you like be like, get up, we have to change the sheets or you just go back to bed? Oh, at that point, we may have not even been sleeping on sheets. So it was rough. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Let's, but I always like to ask this before we get to the bottom, because we all have a bottom us addicts. We hit it or, you know, we die or go to jail or whatever. What before that, what do you think for each of you, why you picked up the bottle? Do you, did, have you looked back at the why yet and seen why you were drinking so much? So for me, I started drinking when I was probably in my early twenties mm-hmm. and I was in college. Um, I didn't come out until late in life. So, and I didn't even, come, I came out to close friends, but um, I probably came out when I was 22 or 23 years old. And it was my mom who confronted me about it. And what she whole, say, can you tell me what she said? Or do you remember? Um, yeah. So we actually like a week before went to a WNBA game and I was trying to throw hints and like, you know, I'm gay, but I can't say that I'm gay because that's just who I am. Yeah. Um, and so I just be like, God, you know, like, I wish I could marry this. There was a basketball player. Her name was Candace Dupree. Like, oh, I wish I could marry her. My mom's just looking at me. So finally... That's a, oh, that's a pretty big hint for me. <laughs> like, yeah. cause you put like, you put up the Vegas sign right in front of your mom, like ding, ding. Yeah. So I think it finally got to her. And like a week after I was getting ready to go on a run and she's like, Jess, are you gay? And I was just like, my heart stopped. And I was just like, yeah. And then I was just like, I, I gotta go. And I went and I ran for like six miles. I didn't have headphones on, nothing, like no music. And I'm just running with all these feelings because 
I had kept this secret that I was gay for so long and now it was out. But before I came out and I was in college, um, drinking became my best because I knew that I would never have the courage or strength to come out. I would never be able to live um, a gay life. I would never be able to love a woman because just, you know, my upbringing, my mom wasn't a fan of it. And so I realized that I had a drinking problem and I started hiding bottles underneath my bed. Mm. So I was in college um, and I, I would drink Jameson. I love Jameson. Did you put it with Coke? Isn't that like Jameson and Coke? Isn't Jameson that Jameson and Coke? Yeah, it was mostly like this much Jameson and that much Coke. So, so like, was, if you're out there, it's like she literally did like not even half an inch of Coke and like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just giving a description. So it was a lot of Jameson and a splash of Coke, is what you're telling me. Yes, and <laughs> so, um, but I knew that I would never be able to come out as gay. So I was like, well, the alcohol makes me feel better. And it numbed all these feelings and it numbed the fact that I had to pretend to go out on dates with guys and pretend that I was into men and all this stuff. So I was okay with the drinking and I was still getting good grades. I, you know, was holding my job down. Mm -hmm. No one knew that I had a drinking problem. I was running five miles a day. Like on the outside, I looked perfect. I was great. But on the inside, it was this turmoil and this hurricane of, I don't, I just, I don't want to live anymore, but the alcohol made it better. And so that's what I turned to and where yeah. I started my drinking. It's so interesting just listening to you. Cause I can almost identify every feeling you had in some way. And I just used a different substance, but it's all the same, you know, when mm -hmm. you're, you feel so like you're not in your skin and you don't want to be on this earth, you know, like that's what I had those feelings. Like I'm so like, ugh, that I don't want to commit suicide, but I don't want to be here anymore. Right. Yeah. So this question is weird to me. Okay. Um, I feel like I don't really know how to answer that sometimes. Like why did I drink so much? I liked it. Okay. I mean, um, I, played competitive softball my entire life. Um, so, and I mean, in my family, we, I also battled the gay issue for quite some time, but I was lucky enough to go away to college. So I didn't have to face that demon in, in my parents, like to, with my parents as much. Cause I was in California for a year. Um, but still I, you weren't living your truth. Oh, you're right. Because I went to a Christian college. So oh, well, there to, you go. I had to sign, I had to sign a, uh, an agreement that I would not like, and part of the agreement was that I would not act in any homosexual behaviors. I mean, yes. What? And I you had to sign an agreement yeah. and what would happen if you did? I don't really know. I mean, you know, wow, that's sad. That actually, actually makes me really sad right now. Yeah, I left, um, I left that school after my freshman year just because like I was just not able to be who I was, you know? Um, and I don't know if that's really what led to my drinking. I mean, ultimately I lived a very, very, like I was a really good kid. Mm -hmm. And I think like I went through um, a pretty like rough relationship in my, like I went from 18 to like 22. Mm -hmm. And um, I think after that relationship, I was just like, I'm going to be the kid I never got to be. And then once, once I really started getting kind of out of control, I had a really hard time like re reeling it back in. So right. 
So you just went um, for it. Like you held everything where it started. Yeah. Yeah. You held everything in. And then when you finally got that freedom, you just like went for it and did not hold back at all. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's so interesting that you're both functioning at alcoholics, but weren't calling yourself alcoholics. So then you get together and you guys are just drinking at night, going out and having fun. So where does it turn? Like, what's the moment that this secret you even had from yourself came out? Like the bottom, tell me the bottom. Oh, you want the bottom? Yes. The bottom where it started turning and then it just went like, you know, off the rails. It, it progressively started turning. Like we went yeah. from drinking like, you know, a bottle of wine to a bottle of vodka, then to in the morning and at night. And then it just never stopped. Um, but like the real bottom of what kind of got us sober was what I think like what led up to that though. Like, um, I think for, for me, what was leading up to me hitting rock bottom was, mm-hmm. The amount that I was drinking, I just, at one point, alcohol is making me feel good and it's what made me want to live. And then it turned into, I don't want to live anymore because I'm a slave to this bottle. I have to wake up. I take a couple shots. I'm throwing those shots up and able to like get on with my day. I have to try to at least get one shot down. Um, I just became so miserable and kind of like what you said, I didn't want to live, but I I didn't know how to commit suicide. Like, I don't know how to take my own life. I don't think I was there yet, but I just, I was so miserable. I didn't want to live. So I guess I would pray that if I was driving to work, someone would just hit me and take me out because I I couldn't do it. But, and it was just the, I think just the amount was starting to get to my brain. It was starting to get to like it, our relationship just deteriorated. I mean, you, it was, it was, there was basically, there was the only thing that was left in the relationship was the fact that we both like to drink and we both like to drink a lot. That was all that was really, were you fighting? Constantly. Fight? Yeah. I mean, and it would be over nothing. It'd be because one of us didn't bring home liquor or, um, I mean, just stupid, the stupidest things that could like tip, you know, over an entire relationship. I love that um, you shared like Jess about, you know, wanting someone to hit you with while you were driving. Cause I had a moment like that where I remember being on the highway and being like, what if I just steer my car into the wall? Like I just, I didn't want like to kill myself, but I was like, what if I just did that? And maybe I won't have to be in this pain anymore. And in this cycle that I keep doing to myself, was it kind of like that? You just were just like done yeah, I was just done. And I mean, I have access, I have a, a, a gun, but I, I knew I couldn't pull the trigger. Like I had tried at one point in my life when I was still in the closet, like I held a gun up to my head and I just, mm-hmm. I had a drink in my hand, um, get them personal, but uh, yeah, I had a drink in my hand and I had a gun to my head and I actually, pulled the trigger, but it went into, um, my bedroom wall and then it went into my parents and stepdad's, uh, computer office room. And so, I mean, that's certainly, you know, got my attention, but I was just like, Oh my God, I can't even kill myself. So I'm just going to be this miserable person for the rest of my life. Wow. And I was able to come out and then I met Devin and things were good. But then towards the end, like year three, we were fighting and the alcohol was consuming my life. And 
I just didn't know how to make the misery stop. And I didn't know how I was ever going to be happy again. And I had looked, you know, I graduated college with a bachelor's degree. I was this athlete my whole entire life. I played soccer from five to 19. Um, I was super physical into doing like the tough motor races and the Spartan races. And here I am now. 28 years old with my head in the toilet puking um sometimes puking up blood and i'm holding on to a plastic uv bottle that you get at walmart for 13.95 my relationships in the toilet like just not wanting not wanting to live but not knowing all i have to do is quit drinking yeah it's so it's like the easiest thing, but then the hardest thing. And that's why people say, can't you just put it down? Can't you just stop doing this? And when you have an addict mind, you can't stop. That's why, right. that's why you're powerless. You can't stop because if you could, you would, but you can't. Yes. We had the let's quit conversation many times before it actually happened. And it was, we would maybe last a day. And if then, that, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it was, it, would be, it had us by, you know, the throat. Yeah, it does. It will take you down. And Jess, I just want to hit one more thing before. I mean, that was so, thank you for sharing that story. And I just want to say, did you have that moment you said after you tried to kill your, like kill yourself in that yes. moment with the drink in the hand, did you think, oh, I failed at this too? Like I can't even succeed at this. Did you, did that, is that what it happened? Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh my God, I can't even like kill myself. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like that worthless, like that self-worthless. And you said on the outside, like you looked perfect and had the perfect life, but that doesn't matter. The outside right. doesn't fix us. It's what's in the inside. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like so many people have that and don't understand it. And you just stated it so perfectly. Okay, here you here we go, you guys. We're gonna go to the bottom, the end of the end, the end of the road, I like to call it. What was yeah. that? The end of the road came fast and hard. Um you wanna say it? Um my rock, yeah, our rock bottom, I mean, I don't half the half of it I don't remember. Okay. Um but it started on a Friday night. Um, we were both off on Saturday. So being in Vegas, I wanted to go and do something. I didn't want to stay at home. Um, Smith's, our, the grocery store, was actually having a penny sell. So we went there and it's like you buy one bottle, get another for a penny. So we loaded up on liquor. Tequila How many? We had two bottles of tequila and two bottles of vodka. And two bottles of whiskey we got jameson too well we got a bunch <laughs> you de- you guys got a bunch you got enough for a christmas party and yeah <laughs> and new year's okay so you got these bottles okay take me through that night friday night um so we went to cafe rio um we got some food and then we headed back um i wanted to go i don't know why but i wanted to go play arcade games like we had already started drinking i just i told them oh i want to go play games like i want to go out on the strip and i the strip, like going down to the strip, I feel like was an escape for me. Like I did, I could leave my boring, you know, nine to five job and I could go down to the strip and be this tourist. Um, yeah. It's like you're on vacation. Yes. So on vacation in the city you live in. Yeah. So, um, circus circus is a hotel here and they have arcade games and they kind of have a, um, uh, the Adventure Dome, which has like roller coasters and whatnot. So I told him, well, I want to go to Circus Circus. 
So <laughs> she had started getting ready. She was upstairs and I was downstairs and already pre-gaming. So I had probably drank, I don't know, enough to almost put her out at that point. Yeah, probably about not a half of the bottle, but close to. And so like we would have, here's how we would go out is we would take a couple shots at home and bring a water bottle and then like kind of drink when we got there. Yeah. The rest of it. So we were, you know, having a good time all night and then like, you know, sober up while we were there enough to be able to make it home halfway decently. Um, so we're driving and were you good? Yeah. So all, all I remember is, you know, we left, I was driving and I remember perfectly, you know, I got to circus circus fine. And that's where I blacked out. Yeah. So you guys, so, you also drunk, you drunk dro- drove too all the time. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <sighs> that's the hard, I mean, that I, to me, like I get flashbacks now of the decisions that I've made on like that decision alone, like drinking and driving. And, um, many people, I mean, including myself could have been dead at my hands and it's scary to think about. Yeah, no, I get Um, it. I mean, in my addiction too, there was many times somebody could have been murdered or put myself in horrible situations and things I would never do. And that's the same thing when you don't, you're not present, you're in your addict, like it takes over. So we've all been there where we put our, somebody else's risk life at risk in our own. So I get it. And I, yeah. And I feel like when we talk about it with other addicts, like that's one thing that isn't really said because we've all been there and we all know it. And then like saying it out loud, especially to like your listeners who I'm not sure if all of them are working 12 step programs. So it's like, it's a whole new state of vulnerability. Yeah, no, it's revealing the ugliness of the ugly, like the shit you don't want to tell. And that's why I made the show is like, let's get out all the secrets. Let's get out the darkness, the shame, because that is what eats us up. You Mm -hmm. carrying around that you did those things doesn't define you as a person. You were in your addiction. Yeah. So from when Jess blacked out, Mm -hmm. um, we ended up making it into circus circus where they have like the circus slash arcade games and um they do like a little like uh circus show too so we make it to that area um and i had been drinking myself so it's it gets a little blurry as for me as well but like i remember getting there and she like she has she she would get this look when she was drinking and it was like this point of no return mm-hmm. where like she needed to go to bed and she needed to go to bed now. So right. I don't even know how long we were there, but I knew we needed to go back to the car so I could get us home. Yeah. Um, so we're walking back and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get you a wheelchair because I can't carry you. Um, you can, she could barely stand up on her own, let alone walk. So she wouldn't get in a wheelchair. Mm. She just refused. Um, and then we get outside and at were this you point fighting or any, no. were you like arguing? You just, you just wouldn't get in the wheelchair. So you're she like, was fine, so, let's go. Yeah. She was kind of so blocked out. She was just like, I don't want a wheelchair. No, no, no. And like, I was just like, okay, well that's not an option. Like, let's just keep moving. Yeah. Um, honestly though, what I've been told is her saying no to a wheelchair may have actually saved her life. Really? Yes. And, um, so after we get outside, um, I really like at this point, I realized like I need a wheelchair cause I, there's just no option of getting her all the way 
across the parking lot into the car. So I flagged down a security guard on his bike. I'm like, Hey man, I really need a wheelchair. Can you help me out? So he went and got one. And as he's coming out of the building, Mm -hmm. Jess fell. And, um, she fell in a way, like I, I had had her leaning up against the pole Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to get her to sit, but she wouldn't. And then I look at this guy and I'm like, finally it's here. And I turn back and just fell and kind of like cocked her head back because she's a limp body at this point. So her body goes forward, her head goes back. And then she fell face first on her top teeth. Oh yeah. So I, I get her up or kind of roll her over and, um, she's got three cracked teeth. Mm-hmm. Her face is bloody. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's so weird that in a matter of probably one second, mm-hmm. I knew, okay, I am never drinking again. Oh, like that was right, that moment for you. It was that moment. It was right then, right there. Like I knew if we were going to, if she was going to live, if we were going to be able to be together, like we can't do this anymore. Yeah. Um, I put her front teeth in my pocket, got her in the wheelchair and me and the security guard put her in the truck. And, um, I mean, knowing what I know now is obviously I should have called 911 and I didn't. Yeah. Um, I called her parents, her, I called her mom, her stepdad and her aunt and none of them answered we finally get her back in the truck and they called me back and said that they were on their way. Okay. Um, I don't necessarily know how long it took from the moment that they answered my phone call or called me back until she got to the hospital. But I think it was a decent amount of time, probably about an hour, maybe. Okay. And something like that. Do you know? And, um, just surreal. Um, her mom screaming at me, her stepdad. One thing about her stepdad is, um, he is a man of like, he's very tough. And, um, if he has nothing to say, he's just, he's just all action. So he got her in the car, basically wanted me to be staying at the hospital or at the, uh, at circus circus he did not want me to come um her mom had me come with her just so that when she took me to the hospital she knew i'd be somewhere safe and she called my mom Mm. and had my mom come get me from the hospital um i was not allowed in the hospital room which was kind of a strange moment like while we were waiting for jess's parents to get there i was checking her pulse like doing the things that i thought was right you know she looked not fine but she was alive. She was breathing. Okay. Was my main concern. Um, apparently when they got there though, she was turning blue and I didn't notice that. Um, so scary. Um, and I get, we get to the hospital and her stepdad had called the emergency room and said, I'm bringing her, her in. And they had to do all this stuff to make sure that she would live. Um, and I wasn't allowed to be there. And realizing how dangerous the situation was and not being able to be there and possibly never getting to see her again, kind of, it, you know, it hits, yeah. it still hits now. when I think about that. And, um, so 
that makes you not want to drink anymore. <laughs> well, not everybody, honestly. I mean, I've heard similar situations and people still went out and drink, but that sometimes the darkest of the dark gets those moments where you're like, here's your moment, like choose it wisely. Are you going to keep doing this? Are you going to keep going that? And you had that eye-opening moment. So how long were you in the hospital? I got discharged. I don't know how, how long I was there, but probably, I don't know, four plus hours. Um, I got discharged. Um, and then just being in the hospital, the only thing I really remember is I had a neck restraint on. Mm-hmm. And when I woke up, I was trying to take it off. And my mom was yelling at me. Um, I had peed myself. Um, I had some IVs and stuff in me. And then the doctor was putting some, I think it's called epoxy on my teeth so that it wouldn't hurt. Yeah. Um, but I really don't remember all that much yeah. from being there. I did uh, suffer a concussion, but all I remember was the next morning waking up in my old bedroom at my mom and stepdad's house. Mm-hmm. And I had like a sliding um, glass mirror Mm-hmm. for my closet and I I looked at, at I looked back myself in the mirror and I smiled and my teeth were just I mean my teeth my lips my whole face and in that second I knew okay I can't hide my alcoholism anymore because my physical self doesn't look good anymore now right or, your mask was revealed it just it messed <laughs> up your face and was like no uh, yeah, wow so, which is I think for me probably I, I hated, I hated, hated that day. And now I can look back and actually say that that was the best day of my life because it ultimately saved me because um, the doctor told my mom, if Devin had taken me home that night, I wouldn't have woken up. So with the amount of alcohol that was in my, in my system. And I kind of knew like that week leading up to that night, I just knew like my body wasn't feeling right. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't process what I was doing. My body was just screaming, screaming at me. And I just kept like putting this alcohol in. And so it was this, you know, tornado that I kind of felt coming. Like I felt that my rock bottom was close. I just didn't know how it was going to be, but I'm thankful that I did knock my teeth out. I mean, it was a $10,000 dental that I had to deal with then the hospital bills. Um, but I got all that paid off and I'm just so thankful for that because if something physically didn't happen to me, like if I would have gotten a DUI, I think I would have stayed sober maybe a year or two, but then I would, that I would forget about it yeah, yeah. because it would just be like a, a slap on the wrist. But because I actually, you know, something physically, I could see it that woke me up because I can't hide, you know, the outside of me. So if the outside is damaged, then it's like, okay, my alcoholism actually is getting to me. So, wow, and I can't hide anymore. I love that you guys both had separate stories, but it was the same incident and you yeah. both came to different, the same realization for different reasons, which is so, it's so fascinating. But what was that withdrawal like for you guys? Did you withdraw together? Did you, can you take me how you got to the other side and now have three years of sobriety together? Um, well, the next day after, um, like she fell, mm-hmm. um, I knew, I knew we weren't living together anymore. So I canceled basically everything I called. I canceled. I, we were in a month to month lease, which worked out great. 
Um, so I was able to cancel it everything through the end of the month. So this happened on June 30th. So July 31st, we were out of everything and it worked out really, really well. Um, again, one of those weird blessings and disguise kinds of things. Yeah. After, like after that, I moved into my parents' house and she moved into her parents' house and we kind of withdrew and got sober on our own. Um, I had a friend reach out to me that I hadn't spoke to in four years. And um, I had actually drank with her a couple of times in high school. Yeah. And she texted me and said, Hey, I'm in town. Um, we should get together. And it was the next day. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know which way is left or right right now. And I was like, what do I even say to her? Mm -hmm. Um, and I was like, I just told her everything that happened. And she goes, dude, I've been sober for three and a half years. Let's go to a meeting. Oh my God. What a fucking amazing (laughs) God shot that is. How, how crazy, how random (laughs) after four years, that person reaches out and then she is sober and takes you to a meeting. Oh my God. I just got chills. Like that gives me chills that God's like, here you go. Yeah. So it was really weird. Um, my grandma actually died, um, like 43 years sober. So, and when she passed away, um, like we were all going through her stuff at her house and they came my parents came across her AA chips and they're like, well, what are we going to do with these? And my dad's like, well, nobody else needs them. And I was like, I'll take them. Cause I knew at one point I was going to end up kind of following in her shoes. It was just a matter of when. So actually I still have all of her chips here at the house. <laughs> Because that is so just, beautiful. I'm like, sorry, I'm going to cry. Like that yeah. actually is so beautiful. Like that your grandmother showed you the way and what it could be like and being 43 years sober. Yeah. Like that just and to me is like. It's crazy because like after being in AA and kind of learning the program, it was, it really explained so much of like how, um, like who the amazing person that she was like every day it I was just like, no wonder you were so great because you had to follow this, you know, all of this. (laughs) Yeah, no, because you have to admit you're powerless. You have to turn your life over. You have to go through the shit you've done and resentments and look at your part and see your character defects and say your amends and then, you know, carry the message on to the next. So it's like how I just feel like the best people in the world are the ones that have been through the darkness and got through the other side. And it seems like you both are there. So do you work the 12 steps or are you out of the 12 steps? Do you guys work the 12 steps? Um, I'm still, yeah, I'm working with my sponsor right now. I'm Mm -hmm. working on amends right now, actually. So good times. (laughs) Yeah. I, I personally, I've worked the steps a couple of times, um, through, and I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, one thing sobriety gives us is like this new path of life. And I haven't been as active as I should. And I'll admit that. Um, but you know, I'm trying not to be too hard on myself for that. No, don't be too hard on yourself. But I have to tell you, you know, that that addict is doing pushups in the corner, just like waiting, waiting Mm -hmm. for life to hit you some way because life happens, right? Like we don't know how to function on life's terms. And I, the same thing, I go to more meetings now than I did when I started 11 years ago, because I know I can blow up my life in a week. Give me a week. I'll blow it up somehow. But I love that honesty of like, I need to get more into my program and so what is life like for you guys now? Can you just, as as a couple in recovery and, you know, three years, you're still babies. Like three, yeah. I remember at three years, I still was like dealing with all my 
even going through the steps, it's so much stuff comes up at three years, four years, you know? And it's different stuff every time too. Every like time. You, once you've got, you're like, okay, I've got a grasp on this. And then it's like, oh, here's a new one. Here's a new <laughs> peeling of the onion. And you're yeah. like, fuck, I have to deal with this. <laughs> Basically our life, our life now, I like to say it's simple, but it's, um, it's easy. It's, yeah. Well, it should be easier. Relationships should be easy. There shouldn't be drama. And that's what people don't realize when there's drama or you create drama in your life and your relationships, there's usually a problem. Yep. It's, um, it's very, it's peaceful. It's, it's like, uh, you know, surviving a tornado or some, you know, natural disaster. And now it's like, you know, you get to, we wipe this house out and now we're slowly rebuilding up you know, this mm-hmm. house together. And, um, we are currently, we just got our 501 C three for, um, hope rescue and recovery. So our goal one day is to have a treatment center, um, like a sober living house. And then the people that are living there would help take care of the dogs that we would try to adopt out. You know, we would Mm -hmm. rescue these dogs. So, you know, trying to help two populations that are in both need and kind of get that um, cold shoulder that doesn't really get a lot of attention. I feel like, you know, addiction is real in America. And sometimes I just feel like a lot of people blame the, the addict and they can just stop and, so, uh, same thing with dogs. Like, you know, I don't feel that dogs get, they're so mistreated. Yeah. It, oh, like, yeah. <clears throat> so so I mean, we just actually saved four dogs from New Mexico and seeing how like they could be nothing there. And now, now they're in four different loving homes. It's just really cool. But that's like the service. That's, mm-hmm. that's the beauty of going through recovery is being of service now. And opening this house and helping addicts then are responsible for animals. That is in itself, like, can give some people so much hope, you yeah. know? So my last, well, not my last question, but one of the other questions is, are you guys living together now? Have you been? Like, did you move back in? Yeah. Yeah. We bought a house in February of 2020. So, yeah. So, which was really cool. Like being able to kind of get sober on our own and find the clarity within ourselves, but also like able to like, I guess, rebuild the love that we have Mm -hmm. and like find... I mean, we changed a lot, but I think deep down in our souls, the people that we met six years ago were there Yeah, and kind of like uncovering the good sides and like leaving the bad sides behind. Um, so yeah, we have our little house and dogs and it's been nice. Well, I love, and I was like a little like, how do you get sober if you're both getting sober at the same time? Because I got sober when my husband was already sober. He's been like 32 years in AA and I started in my program and he wasn't allowed to fix me. We had rules. He couldn't come. And, you know, when I was crying, when I was going through withdrawal, all that stuff, like it was very separate. He wasn't allowed. And I love that you were in two different places working on yourself to then come back together as whole people that don't need each other, but want to be together. Yeah. And, and my that last question about that, were your families scared? Of you guys getting back together. <laughs> the day after uh, she fell, actually, which now I can find this humorous, but you know, I felt like I was 16 years old and I, our moms had a conversation with us. Her mom and my mom sat us down. You guys are never allowed to see each other again. 
<laughs> ever. It was like the end of it. And, you know, being like everything so fresh, it's like the only person that you want is the person that you went through the total destruction with. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, the, that's the shoulder I want to cry on. I don't want my mom's who's mad at me. Um, all that. So we, we didn't talk to each other very much, probably the first couple months of sobriety. Like she would come to a meeting here and there that I went to, but that was about it. Mm. Um, because we were trying to honor our parents' decision. And then it got to the point where like once my mom could start seeing a change in me, she came around probably around month three. And then I just told her, I was like, look, this is, this is where I'm at right now. And I'm going to see Jess. Mm -hmm. And, um, she said, okay, I respect that. And then my parents love Jess. So they're all about it. And we've had conversations and my parents love the fact that, you know, we're sober together and that like we have each other to kind of keep each other in line, you know? Yeah. Um, my mom has come around to, um, to the fact that I'm with Devin, um, you know, I kind of had to tell her like, Hey, it wasn't Devin. I weren't bad. It was Devin. I drinking were bad. Our dick together were bad. Um, my stepdad is still working on, you know, getting over that night. Um, I just feel like everyone kind of goes at their own pace. Um, I've come to accept the terms, you know, if he doesn't talk to, you know, doesn't want to be a part of my life with Devin, then that's fine. I can't stop my growth because, you know, to make him happy. So, um, I, he has come around in a couple, like roundabout way. (laughs) It takes time. I mean, you have to, and then you have to respect other people's decisions and we can't change them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I respect his decision. I don't, you know, if I was a parent and I saw my child that night in that condition, I don't know how I would feel, you know, being with that person that, you know, did that, not did that to them, but was a part of it was was a part of it. Yes. And so so you have um, to respect that. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah, my mom comes over and, you know, she hangs out with us and she, she sees the the difference in me. And I, I think she'll always have that slight fear that I will relapse. But I mean, I, that's something that every day I choose to be sober. So I might relapse tomorrow, but today I'm sober. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's one day at a time. One day at a time. And my last question for you guys, and I just, if someone is listening out there in that kind of relationship, functioning alcoholic, you know, what would be your advice for them before they hit their bottom if someone's struggling? Just put the bottle down. It's going to be hard and you think that you won't be able to do it, but I can guarantee you that if you just put the bottle down and get into a meeting or just talk to someone that your life can change, it, things can get better and you, there, there is hope. Mine would be do it for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for me, I got sober to save everything that I thought what my life was, but now I'm staying sober because life is so much better this way. So Find it for yourself and do it for yourself. I love that you said that. And that just hit something. When I got sober in my program, I thought life would be boring and like not fun, right? But instead, there's just so much more freedom. You didn't realize how trapped you were. And now there's freedom. Do you guys feel that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, every day it's just like, it's so blissful and easy, really. I mean, Mm -hmm. as long... 
it wasn't in the beginning, but now three years later, it's, you know, being sober is like brushing your teeth. You know, you just got to do it for me. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful for you guys coming on and sharing this story with us. And how does it feel now not living in that shame and having that secret, you know, the functioning alcoholic secret that I know so many people still have. How is it, you know, like you're planning on helping others? Is it just like, I don't know. I don't know what I want to say. I just, I'm so happy. Look at my face. I'm really smiling, you guys. I'm so happy (laughs) for you guys that you got to do it together, but separate. It's special. Yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have wanted, or I couldn't have picked a better person to get sober with. Oh, well, happy birthday coming up. Thank you. I will be celebrating your birthday. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing your journey and your truth and and all that goes with it. Well, thank you for having us. It was good. It was nerve wracking. <laughs> <laughs> I can stop shaking now. <laughs> well, if you want to be on the show, please email me at secretlifepodcast at iCloud.com. Until next time. again for listening to the show. Please subscribe, rate, share, or send me a note at secretlifepodcast.com. And if you like to check out my book, head over to secretlifenovel.com or Amazon to pick up a copy for yourself or someone you love. Thanks again. See you soon. Mm-hmm.